0: What if it rained food? What if earth was a few? What if we had nine lives? What if it could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have bees, if we walked through lives slightly magnetical, it's
1: absurd. Absurd Hypotheticals. Hello everybody and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, we have made it through another year of podcasting, and it brings us to our year-end special episode, which, you may notice, is not titled like our previous years. No more award show. No more no more self-given award show <laughs> for, <laughs> for our yearly questions. Um, so, so what we've done in the past is... At the end of the year, we would look back at our all the questions that we did that year and give out awards for, you know, most deadly, hardest math, stuff like that, and kind of do a, a, uh, a victory lap around the previous questions that we did. Which is all fun and good for, I think, us. <laughs> and probably less fun and good and exciting for anyone who's not enfranchised enough to have listened to our entire year of episodes. So we decided we're going to do something a little bit, try something different this year. Um, still calling back to the questions of the of the year past, but instead of just saying what we did, take them and do something new with them in what we're calling our 2020
2: year-end remix. Marcus was very insistent on including that year-end in that. <laughs> I was. If you need it, oh, 2020 remix just sounds like
1: nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, I guess you can hear us argue about it in the the behind-the-scenes episodes if you really want to get our thoughts on what we're calling this thing. We we did debate it for a while. (laughs) I think we debated it multiple episodes, twenty minutes or something. and I still think it should be called the 2020 Super Collider, but whatever. (laughs) Um, Anyway, (laughs) the way it works is we've all taken multiple hypothetical questions and combined them into one hypothetical, so one world where multiple of our previous hypotheticals are happening simultaneously. So basically, as we go through, we're going to be up in the stakes. So, Ben, you're going to be going first. You had, you combined two questions. Chris, you then did three. And me, I did four different hypotheticals, all happening at the same time, into one answer. So it's going to get a bit wild, and uh, I'm really excited for it. I had a lot of fun doing mine, so I'm excited to hear what you guys came up with. Ben, tell us what questions you did, and then how that went for you sure
0: so i did i had two questions um i did our question for episode 86 which was how would you steal the mona lisa and our our question episode 95 which was which museum would win a fight now that's gonna require some explanation in case you haven't heard that episode (laughs) what we did for that episode was basically each pick a museum and say that everything inside of it came to life night of the museum style and then fought right So the way I combine this is basically, how do I steal the Mona Lisa if everything that's in the Louvre has come to life and is protecting it?
1: Yes. (laughs) That was fun.
0: That was going to be a fun idea. So our first thing to figure out here is obviously just, what are we dealing with? What's our opposition? What do we have to actually, you know, take down? And really, all you really have to care about is sculpture. Fortunately for us, the Louvre is mostly paintings. A lot of it is paintings, which I think what we said at the time was that they kind of like Harry Potter style, you know, come to life in their frames. But that's not going to be too much of a barrier for you. You know, they're still stuck in their frames and everything. And and so really we're doing the sculpture. And fortunately, unlike what happened in the actual episode, which was the Guggenheim ran away with it because it had all these weird modern art, like giant metal monster bullshit. <laughs> the sculpture in the Louvre is mostly it's mostly medieval French which keeps it much more constrained to reality for the most part but does lead to a different problem which is that medieval French artists really liked Catholicism and specifically they really liked the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus oh my so there's a lot of there's a lot of more generic stuff uh there are you know some animals and and a lot of just like some weird, like random torsos and heads and stuff that we don't have to care about too much. But we do have 29 combination Virgin Mary and baby Jesuses, eight solo Virgin Marys, one solo baby Jesus, and then eight adult Jesuses. So 30 Virgin Marys, 30 baby Jesuses, and eight big Jesuses. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we also have 22 saints, and I thought we had some individual apostles as well. Maybe they all look. All, those got rolled
1: up into the saints as well. Do you think it's do you think it's easier or harder to be the 29th Virgin Mary be- Jesus exhibit that gets picked up by the Louvre? <laughs> I I mean you got things, at least like <laughs> Is it like oh yeah, we we've got a collection going. Sure what what difference does one more make or is it we've already got 28 of these, 20 right? The 29th?
0: <laughs> I like the idea that there's just some some, you know, wonderful new sculpture of the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus that gets, you know, discovered and the Louvre's like Oh, we already got yeah, a lot of them. Like, <laughs> You're just like, do look, is it going to really bring one? anyone else
1: in if we add our 30th?
0: Yeah. Like, maybe Luke, do you have, like, a hoarding problem, Move. Like, no one needs 29 Virgin Marys and Baby Jesuses. It took us forever
1: just to magically lay out the room for the number
0: 29. Right. <laughs> so we got that to deal with. But then we also, we do have one other problem, which is they're also... They also did enjoy um, Greek and Roman mythology. So we have a lot of uh, Greek and Roman mythology as well. We have, you know, multiple Hercules. We have a Vulcan, a Neptune, multiple Minervas, Mars, the god of war. Just a lot of of Greek slash Roman gods as well, who are also going to be quite a problem because those guys are powerful and, you know,
1: annoying. Do you count them as having their godly powers when they come to life?
0: Um... I I would say so. I think yeah, they have, I would say so. Yeah, I think that's only fair. Otherwise, it's just a, you know, big marble Person. dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is problematic, obviously. And it quickly blew away my original plan was to find a wax museum because somehow none of us did that last time. I was all excited. The Madame Tussauds in London has Usain Bolt and I really wanted to just have him like run out with the <laughs> Mona Lisa. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, so you're okay. You're getting a different museum to fight. these? Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's okay. what I figured. Right? Is that's that, logical. That, I like, guess I, I didn't think to, about that.
0: I need to get a team. You know, like yeah, I can't that do this sense. on my own. I'm going up against gods, both mythological and you know Christianity. Right. So I need a team. But that plan was just not going to work. There's just no way. Which I was very excited about. I also want. I wanted to try to... My original plan, actually, with the Madame Pussauds stuff, was to figure out if any of them had all of the cast of Ocean's Eleven. Um, <laughs> but, once again, as, as great as Danny Ocean and the team is, not going to work against literal gods. <laughs> it's just like, the hell, man? There's three Hercules in here. <laughs> I took a step back. And I thought, okay. So how do we deal with these particular problems? And... I realized that to deal with the various Jesuses and uh, saints and apostles and whatnot, there was one clear option and that is Judas. (laughs) So I did find there is the only, the only, there there had to be more, but in all of my like research, I can only find one actual sculpture of Judas, which can't be right. There has to be more. This is a very like important moment in, you know, classical uh culture i don't know there has to be more but i can only find one which is the kiss of judas which is a german sculpture uh that's currently at the met so we have a judas and i'm just gonna go ahead and say that one judas can pretty much bring down all of the christianity side because that's kind of how
1: it went (laughs) (laughs) Just 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 38 jesus's in a row going oh man i didn't see this coming (laughs) you'd think that at a certain point they catch on and yet here we are it's just, it's just Judas in the back of a, of a, of a, of a quickly shortening Congo line of Jesus. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's going down the line, you know,
0: take him down one by one. So I think that, that our one Judas can, can take care of this, this problem for us of, uh, of having so many Jesuses. And then really, like I said, there are some other, there's, you know, like some wild animals and stuff, but nothing too bad. Our other real problem to deal with is going to be just all these Greek and Roman gods. and as far as I can tell, you know, they're gods. We're not going to be able to, like, kill them or anything. So I think we have to to just steal the Mona Lisa out from under them. And fortunately, we have a way to do this. Because there is, as you may know, very famously, a story about this. Which is Prometheus, who stole fire from the gods. And conveniently, I have found five different statues of Prometheus in various locations to pull together. I decided, by the way, I tried to find one museum that had both Judas and Prometheus. Could not. As far as I can tell, it does not exist. But I figured, we're all going to the Louvre. I can just bring them all with me. It's fine. Don't worry yeah,
2: where, about where's, it. Where's the bag historical figures museum? Right? The... Seriously. Well, if they'd be anywhere, they'd probably be in the Louvre. If, yeah, I know. if there they also a museum.
0: Yeah, it, I, there probably is somewhere that has statues of both, but the like various collections searching things I was using... We're not sufficient to find it, but regardless, we're going to make it work. And then say we get five Prometheuses to improve our odds. So we're going to collect all Prometheuses. promethe I don't know. What's the plural, plural Prometheus? <laughs> Prometheus? <laughs> it's a proper noun, so probably Prometheuses. That's just hard to say. I don't like it. Anyway, Prometheuses <laughs> together. Send them all in. And you may be asking, but wait, Prometheus is like this titan. How is he going to find his way around the Louvre? This is where I ask you guys, do you know what they use for, for the like guides at the Louvre?
2: No. Um, I went to the Louvre once, and it was like 15 or 20 years ago. <laughs> ah, so it was not within the
0: last eight years, because eight years ago, the Louvre switched to using, and I am not making this up, Nintendo 3DS XLs to do the guide at the Louvre. Huh. What? So if you go to the Louvre... And you want to rent a guide. They literally rent you a 3DS. They have that many of them? <laughs> yes. Apparently they had some partnership with Nintendo. They made like a, you know, cartridge for it that is a Louvre guide. The ones that they they give you at the Louvre, the actual 3DSs, only work with that cartridge, nothing else. So people don't like steal them. I'm sure people probably have
1: anyway, but yeah, who needs? maybe it's just to keep stuff. the thir- maybe they just got them all because it, to keep the 30 baby Jesus busy all the time. You're the right. Marys, we're you all go. tired of dealing with <laughs> their crap. But yeah, and pe-
0: apparently if you go to the live now, it's just like people walking around with DSs, <laughs> which just seems so wrong to me. I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah, like what? Weird. <laughs> like how I, I, I really want to be in the meeting where this happened, like where this decision was made. I don't know. Anyway, you can also apparently, like, download the Louvre guide on the 3DS eShop as well if you want to check it out. I don't know. It's all very strange to me, but...
2: That kind of... That makes me want to get to the Louvre more. (laughs) I, I mean,
0: I think that was probably the idea, but I guess it works. Who knows? Like... I can just imagine, like,
1: like, yeah, like, booking a trip to the Louvre and be like, guys, 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 there's something so great about it. Guys, 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 so excited for it. And then, like, we get the 3DS guide, and I'm like, see? It's crazy! And everyone else is just like, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, all we gotta do is hook
0: our five Prometheus's up with 3DS's. They got a map, it's all in there. Apparently, it even, like, tracks your location in the Louvre, so if they get lost, they just look down on the 3DS. There they go. Get right to the Mona Lisa, steal it out from under all those Greek gods and we're, we're, you know, free and clear. That's all it takes. Just that easy. Why didn't you think, think about that the first time?
2: So they, they didn't upgrade
0: to the Switch? They did not. I mean, to be fair, they only just discontinued the 3DS, I think, this year. So they got time. Or the Switch Lite? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Someday. I think the two screens are a draw, though. Because you're going to have, like, a map down the bottom and then, like, a piece of art uh, okay. on the top or something. You need the two screens.
1: Is there anything about Prometheus that makes him particularly good at stealing that he got the fire? Or is he just like, nah, I just, I just, I just know how gods think?
2: um i feel like i, I know was looking point. through that i don't actually know i used to know greek mythology yeah i did not i don't
1: <laughs> that's okay. i was i was just curious if he was like oh also he turns invisible or something which
0: would be cool i mean i know he did eventually get tortured by a, an eagle i want to say wasn't that his torture it was like they had an eagle eat his guts forever or something
2: something like that i know sounds Zeus like, is like Zeus. Sounds like sounds like yeah sounds like Zeus. <laughs>
0: anyway that's what i got <laughs> I stole the Mona Lisa with Prometheus. It works. Hey, Chris,
2: what'd you do? So I covered three questions. So first question I covered was, how would you improve bowling from episode 101? And then I, I covered, what if everyone was a sphere from episode 98? I think you can see where that's going. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, got it. And third question is, what if you were always drunk from episode 89? <laughs> All right, that's enough. I got it. I'm good. Yep. I'm done. You re- you already know what my answer is. <laughs> so my answer for what if you're always drunk, I kind of covered a whole bunch of health problems and stuff because that was like the main thing. If you're always drunk, you have a lot of health problems. Um, so you like overeat and you have bad sleep quality and stuff. You have problems with your liver, your pancreas, your kidneys, your stomach. The list goes on. I want to ignore all those and focus on the fun part of being drunk. (laughs) So I mainly focus on, well, the other, like the focus of my other focus of my answer was like decision-making and inhibited motor skills. So decision-making, I, they like did scientific studies on this. I covered the Iowa gambling tasks in that episode. And then obviously if you're drunk, you have inhibited motor skills. So those were like the two other things I focused on the answer. And then I also said that occasionally you'll have a good idea like one or two good ideas i came up with a couple examples and the first one was the song in a Gata de vida which was supposed to be in the garden of eden but he was drunk and he said in a Gata de vida and the second one was the famed benjamin franklin's milk punch which we ended up not ever drinking unfortunately thank god oh my
0: god <laughs> oh yeah i forgot we we're never going to do that <laughs>
2: We almost did, and then we didn't. But my good idea, obviously, if I'm a sphere and I want to bowl, is that I'm going to roll myself down the bowling lane. So I think this was already an improvement to bowling. I don't really think we need to make other changes to bowling to improve it. (laughs) But the problem is I'm drunk, and rolling when I'm drunk is not the best idea, especially because rolling you get dizzy in the first place. That was actually part of my... Uh, what if everyone is a sphere? Answer is that you that like the outcome was that you're dizzy and that there's like no way to combat that other than just get used to it. <laughs> uh, that was basically my solution to being dizzy. Cause that's like what dancers and ice skaters do. They just do it a lot until they get used to it. It's not really going to work if we're drunk though, because just everything's just going to be a lot worse and spinning or rolling when drunk, I didn't think was a good idea. So I wanted to see, like, is there a way I can, like, mitigate this or something so that I can roll down the bowling lane? So I wanted to see if, like, dizziness from being drunk is from the same mechanism as uh spinning. I wasn't sure. Um So I looked into that. And just to recap, the cause of dizziness from spinning, I covered it in episode 98, is due to the vestibular. Is that how you say it? Vestibular?
1: Yeah, vestibular sounds right.
2: Vestibular... System. (laughs) Vestibular. Vestibular? I don't know. (laughs) I probably struggle with that in episode ninety eight as well. But it's a system in your inner ear. So your inner ear has like fluids that move around and then you have sensors that uh, sense the motion of that fluid. And you feel dizzy because of the inertial effects on that fluid. So if you spin for a long time, then that fluid starts spinning. And then if you stop spinning, that fluid keeps on spinning for a while. So it still thinks you're spinning even though you aren't that's why you feel dizzy. Now, drunken dizziness is a little different. So normally, you have a structure in your inner ear. It's called the ampullary cupula, and this is neutrally buoyant in the fluids that are in your inner ear. Neutrally buoyant means that it doesn't sink or float. It just like stays where it is because it's the same density. And what happens when you drink alcohol is that the alcohol causes the ampullary cupula to be less dense than the fluid, which makes it float. And this means that all of your, all the gravity and rotational acceleration becomes more sensitive to your inner ear. So like all the effects just become amplified. Now they call this quote unquote, the spins. It has really nothing to do with spinning, but it does amplify the effects of dizziness from spinning. And there are some ways to reduce the effects of this. So people say that you can, like the best thing to do is ground your senses with touch and sight. So they recommend like touching something stationary or staring at something stationary. And That should help mitigate the dizziness. That doesn't really help us because we need to be rolling. So we can't touch something stationary or stare at something stationary when we are rolling. And then like the rest of the, Advice is just to, like, reduce the effects of drunkenness by, like, eating stuff or, like, drinking less. Also doesn't really help us because we are just constantly drunk. We can't reduce our drunkenness.
1: That was love when there's, like, an advice column for, like, how do I reduce the dizziness getting drunk? It's like, don't get drunk. That's not really the question (laughs) I was asking. Right. Right. (laughs)
2: It's
1: like, yes, I agree. That would work. But that's not really what my situation is here.
2: Well, in real life, it could work just not getting drunk. But in this, we cannot not get drunk. We are always drunk. So there really is no way to fight the dizziness. I think it's kind of a lost cause to fight it. So my idea was just to embrace it. So we are drunk. We get dizzy very easily. We make bad decisions. We're also a sphere. And in order to incorporate incorporate the bad decision making and dizziness into the bowling, I wanted to start you out in like the middle of, so like you start out, in the middle of something and there are 10 bowling lanes surrounding you like radiating outwards from you and at the end of each lane there are 10 pins like a full set of 10 pins and the pins don't reset whenever they're knocked down so it's like those are your 10 frames and you start each frame by spinning for like 10 to 15 seconds just long enough to get dizzy and then when you stop spinning, you have to choose which lane you want to roll down. Oh Jesus! While you're dizzy. <laughs> now I took away the gutters because I feel like this is already hard enough without gutters. Then what are you gonna throw up in? Yeah, I was gonna say I, thought the, I was gonna add a drain to the gutters. <laughs> Fine, you can have the gutters still. I'm gonna, but you put up bumpers and then like are vomiting. Yeah, in, bumpers are good. In. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> G- gutters are still good as just you know
2: waste disposal. <laughs> yeah. And then the challenge will come from being able to choose which lane you want to roll down and then you just roll down the lane and it's pretty straightforward after that. And I don't know how difficult it would be. I feel like it'd still be pretty difficult because you'd be very, very, very dizzy and probably be vomiting everywhere. (laughs) But I think it's an improvement. I mean, it's definitely fun. It's definitely different. (laughs) It's different and I think it improves it.
1: I like how you went through the process of, hey, you make one good decision, and this is your good decision that you make. Instead of you could have just left it at, you make poor decisions, so you're going to decide to go be a bowling ball. No, this is a good decision. (laughs) This is a positive decision.
2: Yeah. Um, So that was was my answer. Marcus, what did you do? (laughs) All
1: right. So I did did, um, four questions. So they are episode 103, what if everyone was one inch tall? Episode 105, what if you could perfectly train elephants? Episode 85, what if hammers were the only tool? And episode 125, which we just did last week, what if every house was a gingerbread house? So I put four, like I said, I put four different questions together. So there's a fair bit going on. So given that, I'm going to jump fairly quickly into my, like, final answer conclusion. um, Because there's still a decent number of problems to solve after we get there. (laughs) So... (laughs) This is kind of a walkthrough of how I kind of selected these and put them together. So, the first thing um, that works out well is that one inch tall humans are the perfect occupants for gingerbread houses. The majority of the problems that we encountered with our gingerbread houses involved scaling them up to regular human size. Um, and we don't have to worry about any of that stuff because they're just going to stay regular gingerbread house sized. And not only that, it kind of works with our works narratively with our hammers, the only tools. Because gingerbread houses would be a good choice of house to build because you don't really need to do anything fancy like, you know, put screws in or anything to build a gingerbread house. You just have to, you know, slap icing on something and push. Apply icing with a hammer. <laughs> or hands or whatever, you know. <laughs> you just got to get it on there. It's not it doesn't have to be pretty. True. Um, that said, we still have problems with our gingerbread house. Um, these are actually the ones I ended up covering on the episode, which are rain, and rodents. So I offered uh, gumdrop and peppermint-based solutions to these problems in that episode, Uh, but now there's a more direct and effective solution that doesn't involve, you know, sticky walls and stinky fences that I was putting in. And that solution is, the last part of hypothetical, training the elephants. If we build our gingerbread houses on the backs of the elephant, it's gonna keep us out of range of most of the pests that we're worried about. Plus, the elephant is mobile. So when it rains, the elephant can just walk into shelter somewhere and keep us out of that rain. So they're kind of working together to solve each other's problems at the moment. So let's take a a pause for a moment to see what does our village on the back of the elephant's back look like. So a gingerbread house, um, these dimensions are from the website Peter's Articles, uh from <laughs> peter.com.au oh australia i think <laughs> yeah so he's australia because his gingerbread's houses size was perfect for us because it has 1.6 inch high walls which is basically the equivalent of like 10 foot ceiling heights so the gingerbread would be a four by four inch base 1.66 walls and then the roof on top of that so if you take a four by four base you can imagine if you Imagine kind of a suburban area. Your lot size for one house is probably going to be about 6 inches by 12 inches. Give you give yourself a little bit of a yard, a little bit of front yard, some space between the houses. So if you have that, 6 inch by 12 inch lot means each lot is half a square foot. And then if you make a village, I added 50% on top of that for common areas. You know, streets, sidewalks, pathways, BS. So just how big our village is basically... square feet per gingerbread house lot. Elephants are pretty big. I, of course, use the the African elephant, the biggest elephant. Um, So dimensions for the usable part of the back, I kind of just looked at dimensions of elephants and guesstimated how big (laughs) (laughs) the usable area is going to be because no one was really measuring the flat part of it. So basically the back itself is about 12 foot long till you hit the head. Um, and then the, f- the head's got another, is about another four feet long. The width of the back is about five foot of workable space. So that gives us a 60 square feet of living space on the elephant's back. Plus the head's a bit narrower, probably about 10 square feet to work with on the head. So that's altogether 70 square feet. It gives us room for 93.33 gingerbread houses or 93 gingerbread houses plus one gingerbread shed.
2: That's a lot.
1: It's, like, one inch, if you, like, one inch people are very small. <laughs> uh, but this feels like a good size for, like, a, for a wandering elephant village. So, I'm pretty happy with just the, the scaling of it so far. But again, like I mentioned, we're not without problems. For one thing, while we're free of most pests, because elephants are big and tall and off the ground, there are still going to be some. And I think our biggest issue is going to be birds. So... If you ever see all these African documentaries and you see all these big animals, you'll often find there's going to be small little birds like riding on their back. Um, These are usually oxpeckers. They're a small bird that feeds on, you know, insects and parasites that live on the backs of um, larger animals, including elephants sometimes. I say they're a small bird, but they're about nine inches in length. So compared to us, it's the equivalent of a 54 foot tall bird. (laughs) It's like a dragon. Effectively, yeah. Um, they're going to be pretty dang dangerous to us because their beaks are pretty strong. They're actually strong enough to bite into, you know, an elephant or an eyestrus or whatever they're riding. There's actually a little debate on whether their relationship with these animals is symbiotic or parasitic because while the birds clear off parasites and pests and ticks and will like warn, you know, do warning calls that they sense predators, they'll also just like straight up drink the blood of the of the host animal. So they'll, like, if there's, like, a if usually it's, like, if there's a wound already with, like, a parasite, they'll bite off the parasite, which will, in turn, create a wound. And so they'll drink the blood out of that wound, and that wound will then sometimes fester other parasites, so it's kind of, like, a returning spot for them. So it's been more recently classified as parasitic, and based on the fact that they're drinking blood, I kind of tend to agree with them. So we have all these birds, but we're smart humans, right? One of our issues, though, is that our weapons are limited to just being hammers. So, basically all guns and bow and arrows and stuff, those are all tools, I consider it. So, we just have hammers. So Chris, I know when we did our hammers episode, we established that, you know, war hammers are still technically hammers, and there's some really badass versions of hammers that you could, you know, create and build and use. So, you have a shot against these oxpeckers on that. Problem is, one of the things with hammers is that they kind of scale poorly. When you're fighting big things, because part of a hammer's strength is that it's a big, heavy thing you're swinging around, and when it's you're on the wrong scale, that advantage t- tends to waver. So, just thinking about you, like, oxpecker, you'll probably get away doing like a like swarming an oxpecker, but that might not be enough for the next predator on the list, which is the the cattle egret. So, it's it's similar to the oxpecker in that it's a bird that feeds on parasites on the back of the animals. Only. This, the, the cattle egret is twice the size of an oxpecker and comes in at um, 22 inches long or the equivalent of a 132 foot bird. That's like a big dragon. <laughs> yeah, that's like a very that's, that's a big dragon or like a Godzilla or something. So at this point, I was like, OK, so can the elephant help us out here? Because we can train the elephant. So maybe the elephant can just keep these things off its own back. And the elephant doesn't actually have that many options. Typically, an elephant would deal with things on its back by, like, throwing dirt, spraying water on it. It can roll on the ground or go swimming. It can't actually reach its own back. None of those things are really options for our village. (laughs) Because as much as it gets rid of the bird, it'll also destroy the village. That said, I I have solved it, though. And it's less about fighting the giant birds and more about prevention. Because you just want to keep the birds off the elephant back. And how do you keep birds off of things? Bird spikes. So my plan is to simply take candy canes, lick them down to a sharp point, and install them like you'd see the bird spikes on a subway. You know, those little little pigeon points that keep them from landing on pipes and ledges and things like that. So effectively, we have our candy cane, vill- our our gingerbread village, and just on the roofs and in between, and where the street, li- you know, whatever street lights and stuff we have going on, they're all just pointed candy canes to keep the birds off.
0: I was gonna say this is gonna look metal as hell, but it's gonna be made out of candy
1: canes, so maybe not. <laughs> actually, <laughs> it's gonna look it's gonna look sugary as hell. Yeah, this
0: is the dentist's worst nightmare.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be just like weirdly like punk Wizard of Oz almost. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, so that that that, that kind of gets that solves our predator problems. So the last thing I looked at here is just kind of utilities and amenities for our gingerbread village and how we're going to function as like a society on the back of an elephant. So one thing I looked at was kind of like food sources. We don't need a lot of food as one inch tall people. Like the amount of food you need as a smaller organism is a lot less than you would need as a as a bigger one. Like it's just, you're just more efficient volume wise. But anyway, so I was looking at, like, kind of, like, farming in that, like, could you raise animals and things? Of course, all the animals that we typically raise, you know, cattle and sheep and pigs and chickens are a bit big for us. So I think you could have a bug ranch and you could capture, you know, ants and bugs like that to have, like, a protein source because ants are about the right scale for, you know, to be about the same size as us. So providing some meal but not being so big that they'll just us all.
2: Have a nice tender ant steak.
1: Yeah, ant steaks. Or ant soup, really, because they don't really have meaty parts in the inside. And you can even, like, go into, like, bugs that are producing other helpful things, like silkworms. Or, like, you can have, like, you know, a spider web farm to kind of get extra materials. Like, the houses are gingerbread. But you can use other things for, you know, interior stuff. You can make, like, a, a silk bed if you wanted to in your house. Something like that. As far as, like, actual farming goes i was wondering if you could grow crops on a small enough scale to eat them like could you farm on the back of an elephant like you can put a plot of, you can get some dirt up there and like have a plot of land but are any plants like you can't grow a tomato it's like (laughs) bigger than everybody (laughs) it's not gonna be you know effective um so i was looking at the the smallest plants and actually it it was almost a callback back to episode 41 where we talked about plants growing as fast as bamboo. And the smallest flowering fruit is a water meal. And this is basically just pond scum. It's these green little dots that you'll see growing on the surface of water. But they're actually technically little fruits. And actually, they're quite nutritious. They're, they've been exploring, you know, or some people have been exploring, you know, using them as like a supplemental food source because they're really easy to grow. And, you know, they're very nutritional for their volume. Um, so you could grow, you could just have city water to grow water meal. And it's about the right size for us to eat, which is great.
2: Pond scum is an appealing name. <laughs>
1: yeah, you, you, you have to make some concessions to being nasty when you're very small. <laughs> and then uh, the last one here I looked at, and I almost added this as, as a fifth question onto my list here. And that's power for the power for our village, because I went and looked at hamster power which we covered in, or Ben covered in episode 99. So I was going to see, could you power the village with hamsters? Would that be effective? So Ben had done the math previously. One hamster produces about 0.0017 kilowatt hours of electricity. Per day, just to? Yeah, per day, per day. A house uses 30, uh, which is thousands of times more. But when you scale down our power needs and when you're scaring when you scale things like this down i like to do it by volume tends to get you the right ratio so we're 72 times the house our house is 72 times smaller but we're actually going to need step but because we're going by volume and the way you do the units is you're going to need 72 cubed less power for a house so instead of 30 you need 0.00008 kilowatt hours of power for one of your gingerbread houses. So breaking that all down, one hamster will produce enough power in a day to power 21 houses. So if we have five hamsters, we can power our whole village. And you might not even need five because I imagine our... This is based on like real houses. I imagine our gingerbread houses are going to be have less electronics in them <laughs> than than our modern houses. Like I feel like we're going to be using less power per average per house so i kind of imagine it is just like probably you need two hamsters and you could generate enough electricity to power all the homes on your elephant back so kind of conclusion i think the elephant village works i didn't expect to have a functioning anything combining four hypotheticals but here we are you just have to build
2: all of that with hammers somehow
1: yeah that's a little gray area
0: (laughs) (laughs) Much like an elephant, it's a gray area. Hey. Hey. Did it. (laughs) I hate myself.
1: As you should, which is the perfect time then to go into the would you rather question. Ben, are you ready for a would you rather question? Sure. Would you rather be a cyclops or a minotaur? Oh, back on the mythology train again. All right. Yeah, we did some Greek gods today, so this one feels fitting.
0: Yeah. Cyclops or Minotaur. So, so I just want to be clear: when you're saying being a cyclops, you mean not just having one eye, but being big ogre-y dude, right? We're going full. Yeah. Puppet. How
1: big?
2: How big are we making our cyclops? Um, how big is a cyclops? How big is a cyclops? In my head, they're like seven or eight feet tall.
1: They vary a lot, so that you got like the. I think the standard fantasy—they're usually t- like a good bit taller, like nine. I would say nine feet tall.
2: Okay, would um, be like so. Okay, the
1: average fantasy one. But also, there's the colossal ones from like Hercules and original Greek myths that are like forty feet tall.
0: On on the non alien creatures wiki dot phantom dot com, they list somehow they list four average heights, which isn't isn't really how this works, guys. But <laughs> let's just the average height, seven and a half feet or twelve feet or twenty-five feet or thirty feet. I guess it's different sources. I feel like it'll be taller
2: than seven and a half.
1: Let's go let's go ten feet, because I don't want it to be would you rather be giant or regular size to be the main, right, the main yeah. thing here?
2: Yeah, ten feet's good.
1: I think the cyclops is bigger than the minotaur by a couple feet. Exactly what parts of the minotaur are bull and which parts are human? It looks like the middle bit. It's the, the middle is human, yeah. You got you got bull waist down and then bull head it's like a, it's, it's like a it's like a bell curve of humanity <laughs> where where you start at the top like the top is 100 percent bull and then like it's very bull until suddenly it's all human and then back down to the legs after the knees it just goes back to fur and hooves
2: but the what are the hands the
1: hands hands are human hands when yeah, I'm, I'm looking, looking at, at, at
2: pictures and they're all bull hands <laughs> Oh, bulls don't have bulls hands. don't have hands. <laughs> They're all like not human. Yeah, the one I'm looking at though. is
0: definitely not human. It's bigger than human, but it's human-ish.
2: Like the ones I'm looking at, they have three three fingers on the hands.
0: I think we're looking at. Is there like a weird like eight on his chest? The one you're looking at?
2: Yeah, that's one of them.
0: Okay, that's one. Of, that's the one I'm currently looking at.
1: Okay. Whereas if you have three or four, like we imagine, you're all a bit bulky, hairy anyway. But like. You have opposable thumbs and fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay. They're not hooves. They're not hooves. <laughs> it the, yeah. It's the, it's the That's important really thing. the yeah the important clarification <laughs> is not hooves. God, do you have to guard a labyrinth if you're a minotaur?
2: No, you don't have to guard I don't a think labyrinth. So. It's just your normal life, but you're a minotaur or a cyclops.
0: Are do you find yourself inclined to guarding labyrinths as a hobby? Like, is there like a calling there or? Yeah, but there's not many labyrinths around, so you haven't really
1: you know committed to you just stand outside escape rooms and shit like it's one of those things like where you watch someone like play like you watch someone like playing you know football or something like man i'd like to play some football but you never really pursue it more than that like you might have an affinity for it but it's not part of your life
0: i like the idea that that like you take your minotaur friend to an escape
1: room and he just goes nuts He just starts destroying the puzzle, so you can't. Like he just starts eating. the Right. Blues. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> None shall escape.
2: <laughs> you just hoard copies of the movie labyrinth. <laughs> so is a Minotaur also taller than normal?
0: Uh, I think they're a little taller. They're, they're like they're like a tall person. They're like seven feet tall or so. Seven feet.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah, you'd be like six foot four as a Minotaur. Yeah.
0: I think I think if you if someone saw you as a Minotaur but you weren't clearly a bull, people might think you're a basketball player.
2: So the obvious downside to being a cyclops is depth perception.
0: Hmm. Yeah, which is also unfortunate because you're going to be tall enough. You're going to walk into a lot of like you know, like you can't to walk through doors. You have to you know duck down through them and stuff.
2: Yeah, you're not going to be able to judge how far the door is. You're going to run right straight into it.
0: Right. So that's not great. To so be very clumsy. How good is a cow, like a cow's eyesight? Because <laughs> maybe this is a cow. <laughs>
1: I don't think okay. Minotaurs have typically so, bad eyes. <laughs> is a Minotaurs' I was, eyesight?
0: I was good. trying to Google how good how good cows' eyesight is,
1: and what I googled was just "cow good eyes." <laughs> cow good
2: eyes. <laughs> that sounds like results. a bad
1: D anD D name, which is fitting because because I Google is a Minotaur's eyesight good, and the first one is d anD D Reddit that says Minotaurs don't get dark vision. What the heck? <laughs>
0: Um, okay, so I, this did get me to, to, um, do cows have poor eyesight on animals.mom.com?
2: Bulls lack red cones, apparently. Oh, interesting.
1: Oh, wait, I think I, we, we knew that. That's a thing. I, I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop this. I'm gonna say minotaurs have decent eyesight. Like, it's just normal eyes. Normal eyesight. They're as good as your regular eyes. Oh, so they don't have cow eyes? Because cow eyes apparently
0: aren't great. Apparently, they only have binocular vision for about a 25 to 50 degree angle in front of them. So if you're looking directly at well, it's about, I
1: guess that's more about position of eyes than anything else. Yeah. So depth perception is up to 25, 50 feet, which is still better than none.
0: That is, that is true. And also when your head is down to graze or just look down, I guess, in the situation, because you're probably not grazing, or maybe you are, you have a cow head, who knows? You can see almost 360 degrees. So that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. So vision is definitely better for cows or for minotaurs. minotaur.
1: Yeah. Do the horns help? Do, do the horns get you anything? You like can You can open cans with them can you you just don't have many uses for like cool sharp objects that's the problem with bringing fantasy into into real life is that i just don't have much use for like weapons it would
2: just get annoying like you'd they'd hit stuff and get stuck in doorways you
0: could hang a hat on them on them but you could not wear a hat i guess you're working a baseball <laughs> cap kind of Hmm. maybe not mantar heads are weird i guess cow heads are weird is the answer there actually <laughs> what about the feet
2: part of it like how would hooves affect your feet is it a good thing I don't know. Are hooves really designed for like bipedal movement?
1: I feel Answer, like no. they aren't actually. Answer no. It feels like they they'd be good for like a sprint and bad for like balance. balance yeah, because
0: it's like I know your feet have a lot of you know muscles and things to help compensate for for balancing, and yeah, hooves
1: clearly do not. So you would have a tail to help you balance. That's if you true. Have a little bit of a tail going. Got a That's tail. True. I guess. I, I think it might come down to like just the hey. If you're trying to make friends, would you rather be a Cyclops or a Minotaur?
2: Both would be very difficult to make friends. Yeah. (laughs) I actually think the size component comes into it a lot because being Cyclops size would be very difficult to live as.
0: I I agree with that. Yeah.
2: Where if you're a Minotaur, you're just like a tall person, but you can still do it. There are people that tall in real life.
1: I also think I'd rather be friends with someone who looks like a Minotaur than than a Cyclops. It might just be that media makes... Some Minotaurs cool and helpful, and like you know, basically like good, like you know, good like buff dads, as opposed to Cyclops, which are basically exclusively stupid and evil. Also, like if you're a Cyclops, you can't like go to a movie theater or something. You can do that as a Minotaur.
2: True. Yeah, your That's horns true. would
1: still be would still be annoying to those behind you, but a little bit less annoying than a whole shoulder breadth.
2: You can still dehuman things.
0: Right. Yeah. You are. You are. You are roughly. More, more roughly human size than a, a cyclops is. I feel like being that big, is just gonna. Chris is right. It's gonna be a very big, uh, very big issue.
2: You probably will smell worse.
0: Yeah, the fur is gonna be a downside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus side, you don't have to. You don't wear shoes, so when you go through to airport security, you don't have to. Take you don't have to take them off.
2: Mm.
1: Well, that solves it then. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard for me to vocalize exactly why I'm so like why I'm so biased, but like I'm just looking at a bunch of pictures of minotaurs and a bunch of pictures of cyclopses, and I'm just like every time I look at cyclops, I'm like not for me, and I see the minotaur, I'm like yeah, you why not? Like cows, yeah, cows I are mean, cool. This is a cow man.
2: Cyclopses are always depicted as like kind of dumb.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they're they're just it's just more off putting to have one eye. Like if I was look if I was like talking to someone who had one central eye as opposed to someone who had um.
2: Two eyes. <laughs>
1: like, with a cow face? Like, I can talk to a cow face easier than I can talk to a one-eyed face. Like, Cyclops-level, like, giant eye.
0: Oh, there's a big ol' eye, too. I didn't really think about that. It's a very large eye. You get poked in the eye a lot
2: by things, I think. You definitely have to
0: wear a goggle. <laughs> 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 or, or just, like, like, one of those, like, visors you wear when people are, like, golfing.
2: <laughs> a visor? Yeah. I don't think I know what you're talking about.
0: You know, like 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 to keep the sun out of your eyes, you know?
2: How does that help getting poked in the eye?
0: I guess it wouldn't be poked. I was thinking like like if it's like raining and stuff. I don't know. Oh,
2: okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> one of the hilarious thing, one one of the hilarious things about looking at these images for Cyclops is that the X-Men Cyclops is like every like eighth or tenth image and his photos are basically exclusively him shooting an eye laser off picture. So if you look at it all together, it looks like Cyclops is just going to try and fight a bunch of Cyclops by shooting laser at them. That's amazing. Like <laughs> in the Google Images pages. But anyway, I, th- I, think, we've gone, I think we've gone through it enough. So let's, let's do our final decisions here.
2: Chris, Cyclops or Minotaur? I'm going Minotaur. More human-like. Even if they smell worse, you have depth perception and you can do human things.
1: I'm, I agree with Chris for basically the same reasons. Also, people like cows. I, I'm not sure if I agree with human-like in that a cyclops definitely looks more like a human but if you're talking about practicality of functioning on size yes more human-like there and kind of yeah i'm on the same page with what we've talked about which is different than our usual would you rather so
2: and we've been agreeing a lot re- recently like the last like three or four we've agreed
1: yeah i guess we have haven't we we've been doing this podcast too long probably <laughs> good thing we're going on hiatus so that we can come back fresh and disagree <laughs> forget all the things that we uh we've come to terms with each other on and uh have some some hot debates new grievances come February but um, yeah that'll do that do it for that show as I just mentioned we are going on hiatus after this episode so we give ourselves a little time on the holidays so that we don't have to try and squeeze in recording when we're all with our families and all that type of junk so the way podcasts work record ahead of time so it's the January episodes that are affected so no new episodes that are going to be happening in January with the exception of the Patreon behind-the-scenes episode, so if you want to get an episode in January, www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals and become a patron there. Just a dollar, and you get all the bonus content that we've produced for the Patreon. But yeah, other than that, guys, good year. Made it through 2020. A whole new year of episodes. Lots of fun. I liked doing this 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 combiner at the end of it. Felt like a fun way to kind of cap things off and yeah
2: this was better than the absurdity awards i think
1: i agree if you disagree leave us a comment or (laughs) if you do agree leave us a comment and either way leave us a review because all that helps the show
2: (laughs) and uh we'll be back from hiatus on february 1st
1: yes i should have probably said the date yeah no episodes in january but february 1st we will be back with our first episode of 2021 and then we'll be back on our weekly release schedule for the rest of that year and uh we got, some, we got some good stuff planned for next year, so I'm very excited.
2: And with that, happy 2020, everyone. We made it. Happy New Year.